Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Please be sure to stick around to the very end of the show because we have our monthly Miles of Books segment at the end. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Amanda Loudon, who I hear is fresh off a trip to the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I can't tell you how much fun that was. <laughs> and that that is in, you are in Maryland right now? That's correct. That's correct. And I had tax incentive for getting my license done quickly. Oh. So, it wasn't something I really had time for this week, but um, I had good reason for doing it, so I did. And you know, I, I had all the documentation, but the but the guy wasn't happy with one of the forms of documentation and all that good stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, money's a strong motivator, so I'm glad you did. Yes, it, so. yeah. yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. So, kudos to you, woman, for your New York Times article. I know. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us, because it is running related. It is. It is. So I've been working with this one editor there for about a year now. And at one point this summer, he's like, yeah, I'd like to have some stuff, you know, about marathon training for the fall. And so I just put together this pitch for him about a a four-part series. So it's really... It's not a marathon training plan so much as, you know, just periodized guidance. Mm. So that's what we're doing. And so yesterday was the first one. Yeah. Okay. Well, so tell us what periodized guidance means. So, right. So we're looking at, we're going off the theory that most marathon training programs are, you know, more or less 16 weeks. So for four months, each month, we will cover a four week period and just get into, you know, this is what you should be eating. This is what your mileage should loosely look like. This is what you should be, you know, doing mentally, trying to give them all the pieces, you know, not again, not providing the training plan so much as giving them all the parts and pieces that we all know go along with marathon training. Mm. And I assume that they are thinking that the 
goal date is going to be the first weekend in November because Correct. that's when Correct. New York City is. So that, yep. that's when yep. the marathon is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's what we're writing to exactly. I remember. So, yes. so, so I ran New York City Marathon in 1999, and I remember waiting in line at the expo to pick up my bib, and the guy behind me, I said something like, "Oh, how many marathons have you run?" And well, I don't know. Let's say his answer was four. I was like, oh, "Which ones?" And he gets this funny look on his face, like, <laughs> and he's like, um, "New York." It's the only one that counts. (laughs) So I was like, oh, huh. Okay. You know, they do have other ones. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, that's very exciting. And then it was placed quite prominently on the digital version of the time. Yeah. So then yesterday, my editor shot me an email and he's like, nice work. And there it was on the landing page next to a very big headline story about Donald Trump. So <laughs> I, I was quite excited that, that my little marathon piece was getting as much coverage. So yeah. Nice. That's very exciting. That's, yeah. That was pretty wow. cool. Wow. Really yeah, nice. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. My um, great New York Times claim to fame was quite a long time ago. It was in 2010. And it was that my feature announcing that Kara Goucher was pregnant and her relationship with Paula Radcliffe and kind of sharing notes about being a pregnant pro runner. In the paper section, the Sunday Times, it was on the front page of the sports section. Very nice. And so it was Mother's Day. It was, you know, a couple months after Run Like a Mother came out. Like I thought, I was just like, oh my gosh, I've arrived. That was absolutely one of my professional highlights. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, a four-part series, so that's really thrilling. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So our topic today is something that I sort of want you and I to discuss a tiny bit before our guest comes on, Amanda. The The topic is perfectionism in runners. And it's a topic we've covered before, but I feel it's one that resonates strongly in our community. So I decided to revive it. Mm. And We'll be discussing the topic with a three-time repeat guest, one of my favorite gals. Her name is Kate Kneifel. She's based in Carmel, Indiana. Kate is a mental health counselor who specializes in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and trauma, and her private practice is called Yellow Key Collaborative. So if perfectionism is a scale from zero of not at all to 10 to everything has to be lined up just so, where would you say you land, Amanda? You know, I don't think I'm a perfectionist. I really don't. I think mm-hmm. I'm a driven person and I am always trying to accomplish a lot with the time that I have, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely give myself slack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, that's interesting that you say you're a driven person, but not a perfectionist because I, the qualifier I think of is is that I'm a rule follower, but mm. not a perfectionist. I mean, if anyone were to walk into my house or stroll around my yard, they would see that I am not a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of pruning that needs to be done outside and weeding and uh, plants removed and, and uh, inside, you know, um, some things need to get replaced or fixed up or whatever touched up and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, just talking to women in person or online in our community, I, I do feel that it is something that perfectionism almost kind of bedevils a lot of women runners. Mm, yeah. I've certainly seen a lot of that over the years with runners. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Kate is also an active member of our AMR community and a mom of two. In her previous appearances on our podcast, Kate has talked about games you can play while on your run, as well as how to overcome anxiety. I always adore talking to Kate, so I'm pleased to welcome her back to the podcast. Hello, Kate. Hi, good to be here. Kate, tell us a little bit about your running background. Well, I started running basically when I was in middle school and kept running from there on out. I didn't really get really interested in running though until college. And when I was a sophomore, I ran my first half marathon with one of my very best friends who we're still best friends today, who is my dorm sweet mate. And I have really been running off and on since then. Wow. All right. And so I know you're training for an ultra and it's my understanding it's the one of the Blue Ridge trail runs. Is that correct? Yes. Now, okay. So here's the thing with this. So there is a part of me, you know, we're talking about perfectionism, but there's a part of me that feels like I need to clarify. I am in that training program. Uh However, I'm doing the 15K. So 15K, I guess it's all on the same day, but I'm not running what, you know, might be considered an ultra, you know, distance wise. Okay. But I'm super excited about it actually. And here's what is so funny. I was thinking about this, like, what am I so excited about? One, I mean, it's going really well because I get to be out on the trails, which is something I absolutely love and adore. And two, I'm a fan of gear. Like I like the stuff. (laughs) Uh And I heard, I forget when it was, if it was during one of the interviews that Divinity had with the coach or what it was, but I remember hearing, we'll teach you and you'll learn to run with trekking poles. And (laughs) that sounds like so much fun to me. And I'm really excited. Like we talked about poles at our last meeting and I've been like watching YouTube videos about (laughs) poles and trekking poles. And so it, and actually, and so far it's all the actual training, the running outside of the stuff is also going really well right now. Okay. Hashtag nerd. Uh, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of people that do activities so they can buy the stuff, you know? So. Oh my goodness. All right, Kate. Well, tell us a bit about your professional background and the various work you do at Yellow Key Collaborative. It, it seems like a really supportive, varied practice, like not just a bunch of shrinks offices all together under one roof. Yeah, well, uh, that's nice of you to say. That's (laughs) uh, certainly how we'd like to think of ourselves. Um, So I am an LCSW, so that's a licensed clinical social worker. And what I do is I see clients in individual sessions for mental health sessions, for therapy, counseling. And what I specialize in is two specific I guess you could say modalities of therapy. So I do EMDR therapy, which is evidence-based therapy that helps to address trauma and other stuck beliefs, memories, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then I also do a lot of internal family systems work, which is just another modality, another way of addressing, you know, different issues and negative beliefs different things that can come up that can cause, you know, obstacles or distress. So deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, trauma. But the other thing here that is exciting to me, 
um, I own the business. So um, I'm, I'm a small business owner too. So I get to kind of do what I want uh, uh-huh. with good reason, which is great. So we have the opportunity to integrate and bring in movement practices, creativity, and some other pieces of that nature. So part of what we're launching right now that is really exciting for me is workshops and classes, groups. And we have a backspace. It's like a detached garage that we have renovated so that we can hold groups back there called the Collab Lab. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start doing some different classes, groups, and workshops that really can bring in those other aspects that are really important to your mental health, like creativity and movement and connection with others that you can't always get in a one-on-one therapy session. Nice. And on online, the photos make it look like a really lovely space. So it's wonderful you're able to to offer that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, one of the biggest compliments sometimes that I feel is when people walk in here, they'll say, oh my gosh, I feel so comfortable or it's just Mm. so nice here. I feel relaxed. And of course, safety, and we'll talk about this with perfectionism, safety is a huge piece of something that you need and able to do some of the work to move forward. And so when people say that, my heart just like sings. I love it. Mm, Nice. Nice. Yeah. So since we're talking about perfectionism, is this something that you see clients coming in and asking to work on? I mean, it's kind of ironic, right? That perfectionism can somehow become a less than positive tendency. Yeah. So, you know, what is so interesting is most clients do not come to me saying, gosh, I have these perfectionistic tendencies that are really causing me distress and are a big issue and I need to address them. Most times they are not recognized as such. So clients will come and say they're depressed. They have no energy. You know, they just, they can't handle it all. There's, you know, something wrong with them, things like that. And as we start to explore, oftentimes that's when some of these perfectionistic parts and those tendencies come to the surface. And, you know, what you're saying, is it kind of ironic or is it interesting that it's kind of, well, it seems like it would be a positive thing. I mean, you're naming actually what is so tricky about perfectionism is it's almost like this humble brag sometimes, you know, like, (laughs) oh, I'm just such a perfectionist or whatever. Mm. And perfectionism is really rewarded. It is valued in our society. It is pushed in many of our environments and we do not even question it, but it can be very, very toxic the way it is framed. So healthy striving, wanting to be better, great. Perfectionism can be very damaging for that very reason. It's kind of viewed as positive. So, hey, no problem. Just keep on trucking. And if there's a problem, it must be something wrong with you, not something wrong with the way things are set up here. Mm. Well, I know that, that that's probably going to circulate through some of the answers to these questions that we're going to ask, which we, as we often do, turn to our vibrant Facebook community for the questions. And, and wow, those ladies delivered. So the first one comes from a different Amanda than my co-host, who says, 
If you run for mental health and to beat goals, how is it best to mentally handle missing a workout or not doing as well as you would have liked in a race? And as a, I have to say, as a person who can be very methodical in how I follow a training plan, I'm especially interested in the part you're going to say about missing a workout. Yes. Oh my gosh. That really can be a sticking point for a lot of people. So I wonder if I can back up for a minute and... Since we're talking about perfectionism, Mm -hmm. if I can give a little bit of a frame of a little bit more kind of what that looks like and then put it into that question. Does that make sense? Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So one, one way to kind of define perfectionism and just sort of the easiest way to remember it is to please perform and perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those three P's Mm -hmm. now perform comes in really strongly with runners a lot of the time, right? Like performance, how do we measure performance? What are those goals? And then that perfect. So I I just, that part of that perfectionistic tendency is, you know, always doing more, always doing better. Okay. Mm -hmm. If we're in that perfectionistic mindset, what often happens is, okay, I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And from that perfectionistic stance, like that framework is anything else really threatens your identity. Mm. So it makes sense. Like if, if um, goals aren't being met or something, it can feel super threatening. So that perfectionistic piece is never enough. It's what will other people think? And it's that outward facing. And it's also trying to protect you from judgment, blame, shame, and it's a way to feel safe. Okay, so it's sort of this defense mechanism to feel safe. So if we go back to that question here for a minute, if you're running for mental health to beat goals, right? How do you handle missing a workout or not doing as well as you would have liked with a race? So one of the things that comes up is for perfectionists, they tend to have these really unrealistic expectations Hmm. and their folks, it tends to be like super, super tight. Okay. So one of the things that we talk about here is How does it feel in your body? And with runners, you're noticing, you know, how things feel in your body. But if things feel really tight, so if you're, if you're looking really tight and really singular. So for example, if you've got one goal and that is, I have to work out every single time. Then if you miss that goal, I've got to hit all of these workouts or I can never work out, then it can feel really upsetting to you if that is the only thing that you're focusing on. So being shifting away and sort of opening things up. So like if there's one thing we look at with perfectionism is can we soften this just a little bit? Mm. Okay. So one way to soften is to move away from unrealistic expectations. So never missing a workout, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
It's just, it's not very realistic. So what does it look like to, if I, if, for example, if you're training for a marathon and you've got a 16 week plan, it might be realistic to say, I'm going to miss four to six of those workouts. And when that comes up, then, then when you miss a workout, then it's not, okay, I'm failing. It's, oh, here's one of my six, mm-hmm. right? And the same is true for not doing as well as you would like to, like with a race. And this is, you guys talk about this on Another Mother Runner all the time. You guys talk about A and B goals mm-hmm. for times. I really encourage people to kind of open things up and look at success or other filters that you're going to use for your race that go beyond time and pace. Mm. Makes sense. Okay. So a couple of other women weighed in with questions dealing with maybe aging and being in a different place. So Sandy asks, how do I overcome the feeling of disappointment after a race? Since I've reached my 50s, I can't seem to perform as well, and it's been a struggle. And then Nikki puts it a different way, and she asks, any tips for learning to be okay with different goals when pace and performance-based goals are no longer an option? Yeah. You know, one of the things that comes to mind with that is kind of noticing what you're focusing on with running it really is a relationship. And so if you're lucky to run long enough, right? And this is kind of looking at what are some of those expectations, that relationship to running might shift a little bit. So instead of only focusing on what performance, you know, what performance look like. It might be focusing on how you feel or some of these other pieces with that. Opening things up a little bit. If you think about perfectionism, as I said, it tends to be really singular and it tends to be almost like really slick. Hmm. So things can't really stick or it's easy to fall off. And then that (laughs) feels like a failure. Instead, the antidote of, okay, I can't perform as well, and that feels like a failure or it feels like a struggle, being able to turn inward on what is important to me now to get out of running. Is it I want to be somebody who moves or I want to be someone who um, gets out and has you know, some time in nature. Um, You know, that is something for me with running that really has shifted up as far as, you know, those road races just aren't really doing it for me anymore. But being able to get out in nature and on the trails, it really takes away some of that pressure to perform or have a certain pace. And instead, you're looking at using trekking poles or (laughs) climbing a hill or even, for example, with the Blue Ridge um, training plan. And this is something that's really neat about some of the training plans you're offering now. What appealed to me for that training plan was, oh my gosh, I'm going to be with the same group of women throughout this training plan. And then we're going to meet up somewhere and do this race together. How cool is that? Will I make a new friend? Will something come (laughs) out of that? 
that's expanding it beyond just this specific time, right? Mm-hmm. And something to think about with this is it really is moving from perfectionism to really the antidote, which would be not just, well, I'm imperfect, but the antidote to perfectionism is really authenticity. So mm-hmm. how do I show up? What is important to me now? It used to be, gosh, you know, performance, I could perform, I could get this pace. And that worked for me. Well, it's not working for me anymore. So how do I figure out what's important to me and then move forward on that? And that opens things up a lot. And so instead of having this narrow view that's really slick in only one way, it's much more open and textured. You have all these different ways. You're kind of like adding interest to that running relationship, just like you do in your regular relationships if if you're able to be in a long-term relationship. You know, most of us, if we've been in a long-term relationship with people, it changes and we adjust, we adjust, we adjust. The same can be true with running or with anything else. Oh, yeah. I like that comparison to a long-term relationship. So Kate, you talked earlier about kind of the the exterior, the people sometimes feeling like there's a perception of them. And so a question from another Amanda, how to handle comparisons? She says, I'm happy with my times until I hear what someone else did. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think most of us have had that experience. Like, I think that's a pretty universal experience. Our brain is sort of set up to compare. So when you're finding that happening, comparing is really competing, right? So you're Mm -hmm. kind of set up in this binary black and white thinking, which is also a very sort of perfectionistic piece. So it's winner, loser, good, bad, you know, I'm up or I'm down. And especially with, and I don't know if this person is, you know, with social media or with other pieces, but there are loads of opportunities to compare. And it is one of those things that it is the road to nowhere, Mm. right? Most of us know that logically. We know it in our brains, but when we move forward, we don't know it because it feels good. It feels safe to feel, you know, one up or gosh, you know, I got this and it was better than this many of the people. And something to consider too is what environments you are in. So for example, when, when they said, I'm happy with my time until I hear what someone else did, we all have comparisons that happen for us. And there's this both and with this, with perfectionistic tendencies and how we can kind of protect ourselves is there are things that we can notice within ourselves and things that we can change or adjust or shift. But there's also a societal piece, an environmental piece. And so when you think of, gosh, I'm happy with my running times until someone else says they have a better running time. It might also be worth noting kind of what environment are you in and like the people that you are around, how are you feeling around them? 
So I think most of us have had an experience, like whether it's like competitive parenting or it's competitive running or it's competitive vacationing or (laughs) Sarah, I know you're, you've got kids going to college and Uh you know, that can get sort of, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Uh And so sometimes it can be very helpful to notice, okay, you know, these people or this environment, ah, gosh, you know, it kind of, it gets my hackles up or I feel very protective or I feel one down in this type of environment. That is something to really think about a lot too. But the other piece is to be able to, you know, we talk about opening things up a little bit and it might be, okay, yeah, they got a better time than me, but wow, I had the best time ever, right? Or I made a new friend or I traveled to this. This is my first trail race. And again, it's that shifting to this this other operating system of instead of outward looking, what do they think? What is the um, perception of me? It's making, you know, it sounds cheese, but we talk about making this U-turn. What is important to me? Did I meet those? And also, gosh, in this environment, if, if they are an environment, gosh, this does not feel great to me. Um, I may have to put some boundaries up about how I do this or how I respond so I don't get sucked into sort of this comparison game or feeling less than or judging, you know, what I've done as not as good as someone else. Nice. Okay. Well, we've got a question from a Sarah, not this Sarah. And she asks, where's the line between dedicated and stupidly stubborn? And why is it hard not to follow the very good advice that we would give to a friend? Yeah. (laughs) This is so tricky. You know, I'm going to be completely honest. The line between dedicated and stupidly stubborn sometimes, I think is just, sometimes it's luck. Uh (laughs) I mean, in our culture, society, or whatever you want to call it, a lot of times we really reward being stubborn and this idea of perseverance. And you know what? In a lot of cases, it can be great and it can also be really, really detrimental. <laughs> and I think this is where that self-awareness and starting to be able to know what's important to you, what feels good in your body is so important because (laughs) you may look and see, like, for example, I mean, with the ultra stuff, Mm -hmm. you might watch some videos and see some ultra stuff, like someone competing in ultra and their feet are torn up. They are just looking horrible. Mm -hmm. And that might be for some people really celebrated. It might be what they needed to do. And, you know, for some people it might be, wow, that actually probably wasn't so wise, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it is where, and, and, and I know even like my clients do not like this sometimes, but like the answer that it depends and it depends on where you are. And I think this is a good time to bring up what is especially tricky. And I will tell you, I see this all the time 
And I fall into this camp too, and I really have to watch it, okay? Perfectionists sometimes, or the perfectionistic tendency, and even it's a tendency and it's a part. So one, I just want to be really clear, to say I am a perfectionist is like this global, it's all of me, you know, if you could see me, I'm like, putting my hands up and down like all of me, right? (laughs) When really perfectionistic tendencies, it's a part of you. There are aspects where it shows up probably in a really strong manner. And then there are different parts of your life where it doesn't show up, you know, as as strong or intense. Mm. And that sometimes is enough just to sort of relax things a bit. But if we go back to like, where's the line between dedicated and, you know, stupidly stubborn or so much of this is a line. And when those perfectionistic parts are really amped up, you're looking outside of yourself and here's what happens. (laughs) A lot of perfectionists will overconsume podcasts. Mm. They will read every self-help book out there. They might be taking notes on this podcast right now, like, oh, I'm going to do this or that or whatever. But here's what happens. When you're really locked into perfectionism, you are using that information as a way to prove you are not enough. Mm. So that information, it might sound really good. So that, that part of you that wants to feel safe might get really excited, like, okay, this is the ticket. You know, I'm going to expand all my goals. I'm going to, you know, be authentic, whatever it is. I'm going to do all these things. But then the minute that maybe they feel like they're not doing that right, or they miss a workout, whatever it is, then they're, they're using that as information against themselves for being faulty. When actually, It might not have been something that they needed or wanted, or it might just be part of that process. Like, oh yeah, you know, it takes a while. Like moving from looking outward to moving inward, that takes some time. There's nothing wrong with you if this doesn't work right away. (laughs) So if you're talking about like that advice piece, well, advice is super nuanced. Even in this, in this situation with you guys asking me questions, there's a part of me that gets really uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I don't know all of the background. Right. So I, there's a yeah. part of me that says, well, it could be this, or, oh, there's this aspect, or, oh, you know, this could be playing in that really you only know when you're able to start looking inward and having a sense of what works for you and how it feels in your body and how to know what you value or not. Right. Right. Yeah. It's almost like we should have put a caveat at the beginning that, you know, Kate doesn't know each individual listener take the advice as a bigger, broader strokes. And, uh, you know, it may or may not apply to you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And here's the other thing that, Just another concept. And I guess maybe, and you tell me why, if you don't want these concepts, but the other thing that happens to so many women, especially, is they're looking outward all of the time to meet other people's needs as well, 
right? Mm -hmm. So they're trying to meet the needs of their kids. They're trying to meet the needs of their, their partner and they're trying to kill it at work and all of the things. And now they're trying to run and be healthy. But what happens for many people and many clients that I see is this process called de-selfing, which, which means we've looked outward so long (laughs) and we are we are tending to everyone. We are doing the things. We are hitting the checklist. We are following the workout, right? Because mm-hmm. this can happen with working out and running too. But what happens then, and this happens for a lot of clients, especially in midlife, there comes a point where you realize either you have time to do something for yourself or you you're ready to 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 do things for yourself or you're looking inward okay i'm going to i'm going to leave perfectionism i'm going to look towards what i want and you do not have a clue hmm. and it's not because what you like who you are has disappeared it has not disappeared but just as we're talking about relationships you haven't been checking in with yourself or noticing what you like, what you want, how it feels in your body. And so to make this shift to this different operating system, it takes some time, many times, to reorient and get back to who you are and who you want to be in order to move forward in this way. Mm-hmm. I feel that's very powerful and that will speak to a lot of, a lot of people. Wow. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. We'll be back shortly to talk more about perfectionism. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So we had another Sarah saying, perfectionism is a heavy load that I know is unattainable, yet I still struggle with self-worth no matter what level of achievement I get to. It's been a struggle to not severely self-criticize. I'm wondering if there are any tools to avoid reverting back to negative self-talk. Yeah. Well, I guess first I just want to to name you know that critical voice or self-criticize, that spiral, that negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. It's it's really 
distressing and difficult. So I, I just want to name and normalize that. It's really, really difficult. And what happens so often with the negative self-talk is we want it to go away, <laughs> right? Like yeah. we just want it, we want to push it away. And the problem is, especially with a critical voice, the more you try to push it away, the stronger it gets. It's almost like um, those finger traps. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when you pull them and you get stuck. <laughs> and another way that I kind of talk about this is when we have really distressing and difficult feelings, and this critical voice is definitely one of them, we tend to do what we what I call like the difficult difficult emotion or difficult feeling dance, which is if you could see me, we either obsess about it. So I like put my hands in front of my face. We stuff it. So you make that stuffing motion (laughs) or we like project it onto somebody else or get it out of here. Right. And it just, it doesn't work. And when she's saying, the reason I bring that up is because when she's saying like, you know, spiraling or feeling stuck in it, we obsess about it. And it just, it makes things worse and worse and tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm. So here's one of the things that, that, you know, we do that can be a strategy is first, if it's, if it's okay. And, you know, sometimes people don't like this very much. It's like, I just want to get rid of it. If you can imagine this critical voice as like, you know what? okay, like we're just going to like make some space for you. We're going to make some space for you and name it. Just that, just noticing like, okay, you're naming it a critical voice and it's a part of you. Again, it's not all of you. Wow. It's a really intensive part. Like, okay, yes, it's here. Name it. And then you can kind of externalize that. Now, a lot of times I'll call those critical voice like for me, I call it like the gremlins. Mm-hmm. Um, you can give it a name. It can be mean Martha. It can be whatever <laughs> it is. But you can kind of give it some space. And I know this is going to sound like counterintuitive, but actually find out almost if you're talking to that part. Now, this may feel woo-woo to some people. So <laughs> that's okay. Just name it like a little woo-woo, but I'll stay with you. <laughs> with that critical voice being kind of check in, like, what is the concern here? What is it that you're really worried about? So often, if we can, again, we're looking at softening, if we can soften enough and kind of allow, normally, that critical voice is there, it it wants to shame and blame you before somebody else can do it, right? Mm -hmm. It wants to make sure you don't get too big, you don't get embarrassed, you don't do something that you're going to make a fool of yourself because then you will not be safe. And it really worries you're not going to be able to handle it. Mm. And, and really being able just to notice that and stay that, and you will be surprised. Like if you stop fighting it and I'm just going to name that this is, it can be a harder thing and it can also be something that you might be surprised on how intuitive it can actually be. But when it gets a chance just to kind of share what's going on, things within your system often will sort of soften a little bit. Hmm. And then once it kind of has softened a little bit, one image that I use is 
So I say, hey, okay, you know, Martha, you are allowed to be on the bus. Like, pick a seat on the bus. But I, Kate, I'm driving. So I'm going to decide where we go. Like, you can yap away. That's fine. You're allowed to have your feelings. And we're driving to Texas or we're going to give this presentation, whatever it is. Um, and that can be helpful sometimes with just giving it a little bit of space. Mm-hmm. Very good. And no offense to all the Marthas out there who are listening. Oh, I know. I- <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So uh, Melissa has a question. She says, I can't seem to allow myself a rest day. I'm driven by my darn Apple watch chirping at me to meet or beat my workout goals. I know rest is healthy, but I can't seem to do it. And Becky asks how to handle balancing the mental health benefits versus overdoing it and not recognizing that need for off or recovery days. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, here's what is so funny. Melissa and her Apple Watch, she is not alone. And I would bet you any money, there are people right now being like, me too, with the Apple Watch. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many clients we have talked about their watch. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So it's an external piece again, right? It's this looking to what's interesting, your watch, right? To kind of that get that feeling of accomplishment or not. Here's the thing though, a couple things just to normalize this. I mean, we know one, Apple is super smart (laughs) and they know what to do to keep us looking at our watches, looking at our devices, all of those different pieces. Okay. So there is closing a loop is super satisfying in our brain. All right. I mean, it's, it makes us feel really good. So. I'm going to offer up kind of something, and this is actually um, a coping skill that I, or a coping strategy or an experiment I offer up if we're working on perfectionism too. Uh One is to kind of practice being a rebel. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and be a rebel in some really small ways. It can be really fun. So, and to experiment. So we're going to use to just do an experiment. So you don't, when this isn't a big goal, this is an experiment just to see what happens. Okay. You can't win or lose this because we're just going to see what happens and we're going to kind of be a rebel. Okay. So the experiment that I would suggest for this person would be, okay, reset those Apple watch, reset your circles, take off the notifications right? Whatever it is, however it's chirping at you, that's kind of try taking it off. And with the circles, and I don't even know, they might not be talking about the circles. They might be talking about notifications. Mm -hmm. I have clients who are really concerned about like closing their circles, but set your circles super duper low. Mm. So they just automatically, you know, they're going to go and just notice how you feel. So for example, my daughter, she shared, I know a lot of people like share that information with each other. So that might be another thing. Stop sharing for a little bit. If it's a point of like comparison for you, 
see how you feel. But she saw, she was like, mom, you close your circles every day. It is so boring. I don't even want to, you know, follow you because you close your, you know why they close every day? Because they are so low. It is not something that I even look at. For me, that's not something that is important. But even just experimenting with shifting some of those things to see how you feel can be really, really beneficial. And you can kind of be practicing being a rebel in some way or like, I am not going to do this. Even if it's, I'm not going to wear my Apple watch. I'm going to wear my nice gold watch that I got for graduation or whatever it is. (laughs) What that does, just like with our workout plans, you know, you slowly increase your mileage so that you're increasing the level of discomfort that your physical body and we know too, like your mental, like mentally, oh yeah, mentally, I know I can go six miles at this pace or mentally, I know my legs can take me 13 miles. With our mental health or when we're shifting how we approach things, you know, if we want that ability to soften, if we want that cognitive flexibility, that psychological flexibility, practicing embracing that discomfort. And I I use rebel as a way to reframe it in a fun way, but like being a rebel and noticing what happens and being with that discomfort can be a really positive practice, especially if you're someone who feels very driven, you know, by goals and, and things like that, which is also, that is a perfectionistic tendency is this, this tendency to be over, you overdrive, you push it so hard. There's that overdriven aspect. And then there's the paralyzed. I'm not going to do anything because I can see all the ways I'm going to do it wrong. So I'm just going to shut it all down. For either of those sides, moving into that, that area of discomfort in those small rebellious acts, whether it's with your Apple watch or going to bed without brushing your teeth or swearing (laughs) in public, you know, whatever it is for you, it can be a really healthy practice. Nice. I like that. I like that. So this question comes from Jenny and I apologize in advance for being a a little bit long, but I want to read all of it. So Jenny says, recovering perfectionist here. How do you find the balance between the extremes of perfectionism and apathy? I feel like I've swung from the personal demand slash drive to do the workout schedule perfectly to being very inconsistent and not really caring in that moment. Afterward, I wish I'd done the workout and kicked myself for not following the plan. I'm assuming she means, um, you know, maybe post-race. So she says there has to be a happy medium. Yes. Yeah. Well, So she's talking about a little bit what we just sort of named there so that the extremes of being really driven, I'm going to do, you know, all the things that I'm going to hit all the marks and I'm going to hit them just exactly so. And man, I don't care at all. One piece to kind of talk about is when we are just within your nervous system, that sympathetic nervous system that it mobilizes you. So it can be really great to drive you to do, you know, things that you need to do. It can protect you from danger. But if you are driving, pushing, 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 pushing all the time, 
at some point there tends to be this sort of collapse that happens because it's too much. And it's not failure. It's your nervous system saying, whoa, 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 because you will not slow down. I am going to take this over now and we're not going to care about things. We're going to collapse. We're going to kind of withdraw because it's too much. The way to kind of look at, okay, so how do I deal with this? One, notice when you are kind of overdriven. One thing that's really hard about this, and again, I want to name this again, there's like this micro piece that's with us individually, but there's also a societal macro piece. So we live in a society (laughs) that really values, promotes doing, 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 accomplishing, producing. And so it can be really tricky to know where that line is for you personally. And I just want to name too, many times you can learn where that line is after you've kind of crossed over it. And so most of us can look back and say like, oh, when I look back, I see, whoa, I was really probably doing too much. Or I can see now how I sort of set my, you know, I was setting up for this. So it's okay to learn those things and then adjust, but it does take some time. A way to kind of, okay, how do I, how do I stay a little bit more consistent versus like total pedal to the metal and collapse is being able to look out, look, especially like if we're talking about workouts, if you notice you have a workout coming up and maybe there's some dread or you feel like maybe I, I can't do it. One would be proactively look at what would be something in the middle. So that gray area, what's in the gray here? If I'm supposed to do six miles, could I go out and do, you know, two Sometimes that can help keep in the gray area and getting out and doing something. What will I, what will I see? What will I learn by doing it? So instead of the main goal with every workout being, okay, I've got to hit the workout perfectly. Another really great way to look at it. That is another strategy that we look at is, okay, Instead of it's black or white, I do the thing or I don't do the thing. What will show up for me if I do the thing, right? So let's say um, Kate talked about in this podcast and she said two miles. Well, there's a part of me that thinks, oh my gosh, well, two miles is silly if I'm supposed to do six. Okay. But instead of opting out, check up. How will you feel? If you go out, be a rebel be a rebel, go out and do two miles and kind of see how that feels. What do you notice? And you might come back and say, yeah, it it felt bad or it felt okay. Or I decided to do three or I ran into my neighbor and it turned into this really good day. Those are some ways to shift in to that gray area is to do it to answer some questions instead of I've got to do it to hit this perfectly. Does that make sense? 
Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Yeah. So our final question comes from Holly and she asks, perfectionism isn't always killing yourself to be perfect. It can also be not even starting something because you're afraid you won't perform the way you should. And she puts that in quotation marks. How can we tell the difference from depression, feeling lazy or tired or not starting off out of fear? Yeah. Well, again, this is sort of naming that either overdriven or I'm not going to start at all because I'm worried that I won't do it the way I should do it. With that, it can be really helpful to start with something that is small. If we use something that isn't running for a minute, is that okay? Like an sure. example? Sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, there are uh, things in life other than running. Yep. I know. Yeah. And I do want to say something about that too, just as kind of uh, coping. But if we have time, if not, that's okay. Um, I'm going to use the example of creativity for a minute. One, because it is something that I see so often with clients is, and especially with um, perfectionistic clients who have perfectionistic tendencies or parts that are showing up is as we start digging into things, there is often this real sense of grief and a sense of loss, honestly, of the activities and so often their creative endeavors that they have opted out of because of this, like feeling like I'm not going to be able to do it the way I should do it, or I'm going to look silly. And so I'm not going to do it at all. And engaging in a creative act period is also another strategy to kind of work with and shift into that sort of authenticity and expressing and connecting to yourself versus that perfectionistic piece. Mm. So if we use creativity for just example, then let's say um, there are people out there saying, yes, that's me too. I want to be creative, but you know, I don't know how to paint or man, I feel so dumb or it feels silly or frivolous. Okay. Make space for that. That's fine. Note what comes up. Make space for it. That is what is here. Okay. And see if there is some a really small place to start. Maybe you're interested in, let's say, painting. Okay. What would it look like to go to the store and just buy some paints? What paints would I want to buy? Or maybe I buy three colors. Okay. Or what would it look like? I've got a piece of paper and, you know, my kids have some paints, <laughs> right? What mm-hmm. would it look like if just for five minutes I took this one paint brush and I used one color and I just did something for five minutes? What tends to happen is as you start opening that up, Again, you start being able to build upon, one, your ability to handle the discomfort of, I'm going to look stupid or this seems silly or whatever. You can see how you feel. And then it helps to start, you can build on that. 
So this idea, and, and again, this comes back to those expectations too. If we can really, really shrink those expectations down. And the other thing is make it fun. You know, I think when we go back to perfectionism, it gets so tight and rigid and it is not really fun. Like it's not fun. It may have started fun. Like it may have been fun to run, you know, an eight minute mile before, but then if we're like stuck, we have to do that all the time. It's not fun anymore. But if we go back to like that creative, if there's ways that you thought, oh my gosh, it would be so fun to do a drip painting or it would be fun. What if I wrote a haiku every day? It would be fun. <laughs> or um, you were talking to Liz about painting rocks. Uh-huh, yeah. Huh. What if I started, <laughs> what if I painted a rock? Whatever it is, that is one piece of it. And then the, the last piece I'm just going to note is to name, you know, what are the shoulds? What shoulds come up? You know, what is it that you feel like, okay, it should be this, she should, it should be that. Are they actually your shoulds or are they internalized shoulds from someone else, from a past teacher, from your parents, from your friend who does it this way? And you think you, you know, oh, then I I should do it that way. Sometimes that can help too. like, oh, wait, that's their version of things. They can keep that. And I'm going to develop and play around with and experiment with what my version is going to look like. Nice. Nice. Listening to you talk about that. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can start gardening in just one part of my yard. Like that's <laughs> It's perfect. Yes. And also I, my across the street neighbor who moved in a couple of years ago, she is just very creative with gardening. And when she, you know, when a, She's she moved out here from New Jersey, so plants grow differently. So suddenly, you know, I don't know, her hydrangea got enormous when back in New Jersey it stayed nice and compact. And so she'll just dig it up and plant it in a different part of her yard. And I just look at her and I'm like, wow, she just seems so free about all that. And so finally she and I went to the, you know, the lawn section of the Fred Meyer store out here. And uh, so she was like, well, you know, you could do that. And remember, I have that in my yard and that looks really pretty. And so finally, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Let's just do the pots on my front porch for today. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And (laughs) you're also naming one other piece that I'm just going to put out there because this Uh can, you know, that perfectionistic also has to do with that performance piece sometimes. But noting you observing that neighbor gave you the courage and kind of permission and idea to move forward in a way that you wanted to move forward. And so sometimes just even noting that like, Hey, I want to be someone who does this and how wonderful it is that someone else think of all, I mean, for me, like when I was thinking of this with running, I don't have a lot of those perfectionistic tendencies. That's not where they show up. They show up in other places big time, but (laughs) not with running. And I'm not just saying this, but part of the reason is this podcast in this community. So modeling that, who are you around and who can do that for you? It has a huge impact. And so it's just, it's a really important 
piece to know you can be that for someone and someone can be that for you. Yeah. Yeah. I like both sides of that. Yeah. That it's not just about looking outward, but that someone might be looking at you. Right. Yeah. And so to know that, again, that when we're so feeling judged on the exterior, that maybe that exterior is an inspiration or a, a path that somebody didn't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Kate. This I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you guys. Oh, good. Good. And I still swear one time I'm getting out there to, to Carmel. And <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait. I have a whole itinerary. I'll be ready when you do. <laughs> the tour de Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to meet some runners when the... The monumental? Yes. Or, or, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Better so we'll together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Awesome. 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 All right. Good deal. Take care, Kate. Thank you. In full disclosure, Amanda had to hop because her dog walker was coming to her door. So so it's just me now. So, but we're getting a group together in November at gorgeous Hilton Head Island off the coast of South Carolina. Please join us at that running retreat. It's November three to six. We bring in guest presenters. We lead group runs on the gorgeous, gorgeous hard pack flat beach. We have delicious meals. We do yoga. We make loads of friends. We look to each other for inspiration and example, and uh, we do a lot of laughing. So, and it all has a front row seat of the Atlantic Ocean from our host hotel, the Beach House. And Hilton Head may be our last retreat for the foreseeable future. We're debating that right now. So if you've ever contemplated attending an AMR retreat, now is the time to register. And to do that and get all the details, go to anothermotherrunner.com. Click on the events on the top navigation bar. And you'll see the drop-down menu for Hilton Head Island. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com and click on events on the top of the homepage. And I apologize for my stuffy nose during all of this. Oh my goodness. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Mendor from Fire on the Bluff. Now, my super classic move right now is I have taken little wads of tissue Kleenex and put them up my nose so my nose won't run. (laughs) Hey, thanks for sticking with us. This is Miles of Books, our monthly bonus segment that's a quick convo with Liz Waterstrott, a coach in our Train Like a Mother Club and one of my occasional co-hosts. Welcome to you, Liz. Hi, Sarah. You might be proud of me or you might not have any emotion about what I'm going to tell you. So this morning when I went to bed last night, I had my swim stuff laid out and then my pickleball bag because I was going to swim in the pond and then go play pickleball with my buddies. And instead, when I woke up, I thought, no, I have too much work to take that much time off in the morning and I need to get in a run. So I ran five miles instead of swimming and pickleballing. Oh, Oh. yeah. Can you believe that that running trumped pickleball and open water swimming? That's Mm -hmm. surprising. That's Mm -hmm. surprising. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's it's reassuring that your life is getting back on track. I remember what got me here and it's running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had, um, 
taken two days off because of going to see Taylor Swift up in Seattle. So Mm -hmm. I had it, unless you consider standing for three hours and 20 minutes exercise. I (laughs) And it sure felt like exercise at times, standing all that time. That is a long time to be Taylor Swifting. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It was fabulous. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a different art form, which is books. Yes. So yours is, do you want to queue up what two books you're going to be talking about today? Sure. One is a book that I just read and one is a book I read a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one that I just read, this is, I think I mentioned it on my Instagram stories. This is probably my favorite book of 2023. Wow. That's big. Yes. Wow. I really liked it. It's called Anatomy of a Breakthrough. Mm -hmm. It's by Adam Alter. Adam Alter wrote a book, I think it was called Invincible or Irresistible, Irresistible. And it was all about the lore of technology, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh-huh. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I read it, but but I know him as an author. His name is out there. And I just thought this was a fantastic book. Mm. The topic was interesting. It's, it's basically how to get yourself unstuck. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know what that means. There's been times in life where maybe you feel stuck in certain areas of your life for whatever reason. Uh, But he goes through some of the research. And what I liked is, you know, a lot of these books, they reference the same research. Like, I don't know, have you heard about uh, Carol Dweck's mindset research or Angela Duckworth's grit research? I feel like every book, every book (laughs) brings that same research up. And I'm thinking to myself, guys, there has to have been studies that have been done somewhere since then. And so he really brings in a lot of fresh research. So mm. it was interesting to read. Uh, and, and I liked it. It just, it just really resonated with me. Mm. And so that is, that is what you liked about it. So it wasn't that because a lot of people on Goodreads for the first time ever, I was like, Oh, I guess I could look up the books that Liz is going to talk about on Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know that's a resource that you use a lot is Goodreads. It's not a site or an app that I go to very often. Yes. Yeah. 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 I I record my books there, but I, I did not, I don't, you know, I don't really look at too many of the book reviews. It's kind of like when you go to Amazon to buy something, Mm -hmm. you know, the the kind of people that leave reviews really on anything, a restaurant, a doctor, a, a service. I feel like the worse your experience is, the more likely you are to take the time to make one of those reviews. So I just wonder if, you know, when you look at the Goodreads app and and the book has, I don't even know how many stars it has, but I just wonder if that's a little bit skewed towards people who didn't like it, mm. you know, and, and took the time to to tell everybody why they didn't like it versus the people like me who loved it. And I'm not going to be bothered to sit down and tell the world why. I'm just going to sit here on this podcast and tell people why. Because <laughs> it's easier to talk <laughs> than to type, you know? Sure is. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, as a as a Goodreads side note, I guess now some Goodreads reviewers are kind of syncing books even before they come out, and oh. and that so I mean I think there maybe has been one book contract canceled because of how panned it got on Goodreads, and wow. so it's people getting advanced copies and just I don't know. I don't know. And then, then, you know, then it's kind of like, you know, they're haters and they're, I don't know, just trying to cancel somebody or whatnot. Um, Right. Right. And I I feel like some 50% of the people will love this book. 50% will hate this book, but you know, you'll get something from it. So that's, that's disappointing to hear that, 
you know, if, if you take the time to write a book and people mm-hmm. go on an app and rate it and don't like it, that it's, it's like party over for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of the reviewers on Goodreads commented on how well written this book by Adam Alter was, including yes. one person who went so far as to gush that the author of the author's poetically practical pose, which is prose, prose. He's not a poser, poetically practical prose. So I thought that was very high praise for a nonfiction book. Yes. Uh, you know, sometimes the authors get a little bit lost in their own stories and they mm-hmm. get on all these different tangents. Mm-hmm. I, I can say, honestly, I read every word of this book. Wow. There's a lot of books I skim. Yeah, I, I'll skim through. I get bored of the stories. They keep saying the same thing. But this really was an adventure every single chapter. And it's something where I feel like you could just sit down and read he kind of breaks down the book into different parts, help, heart, head, and habit. And you could read just one section and still get a lot out of that section if you don't have time to sit down and read all mm. 200. Let's talk about the page count, Sarah. My favorite thing. <laughs> I thought it was two, 233 pages. 233? Because when I looked it up, it said 320 pages. Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't have and even I thought it up. Th- I thought that is a... That's an awfully no. thick book for Miss Liz. Mm-hmm. No, 233 pages. Perfect. Absolute, like, perfection as far <laughs> as the amount of pages, the font used, you know. Like, you know, it drives me nuts when it's like 200 pages, but the font requires a magnifying glass. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that, that you're getting that granular on something. It always reminds me <laughs> of the scene. You're probably too young to have watched uh, the movie Amadeus. But when the king says that one piece by Mozart, he says he thinks it's too long. But rather than saying that, he's like, there's simply too many notes. <laughs> <laughs> so so this book did not have too many notes. <laughs> no, no, it was perfect. Oh, good. oh, my goodness. I also do like a book that you can pick it up and put it down and and just read one chapter and have it almost yes. be standalone. Yeah. Or you can jump back in. Like, I, I don't know about you, but in the summer, mm-hmm. I will sometimes leave a book for a week mm-hmm. and you need to have that feeling that you could jump back in yes. mm-hmm. and you're not lost. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Stretch. Mm-hmm. And I loved the first two chapters. And now I feel kind of lost because I haven't been back to it in a week. So I feel like I need to go back and reread. And that, that's a little unsettling yes. as a reader to feel that way. Yes. But this one, I felt like each chapter kind of stood alone. Right, right. It's when you're watching a streaming series or listening to a podcast. And it's like, wait, I, I don't remember. At least you can rewind. And it's like, could you just yeah. rewind the book for me a little bit? <laughs> 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 oh, gosh, I'm like, I'm like a monkey or something. I have just no attention span. Because <laughs> I also do that. Sometimes I only read on the weekends. And so mm-hmm. right now I am reading a book that I know so many women in our community love, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. And so mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I haven't read since last weekend. And so, you know, five days go by. That's That can be an eternity in terms of memory. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes do you, do you ever have to go back and read it and it's it's like you haven't read it before you're like well, i don't even remember these words <laughs> and specifically the words not always the the plot or you know some incident that has occurred or in this case a study that's i'm like i don't remember the word you know paradoxical on the page <laughs> <laughs> or, or like if there's a lot of pay, uh, paragraph breaks i'm like 
remember there being a page that had so many paragraph breaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something bright and shiny. Wait, what? <laughs> I was just going to say, you have that bright and shiny attention span, which explains the found change thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just got Freudian right there in real yes. time. <laughs> a, a therapeutic breakthrough. You don't have to go to therapy next week, Sarah. I figured it out. <laughs> Bright and shiny attentions. <laughs> you, I mean, I, could everyone hear the audible light switch being clink? There we go. There it went. It turned on. That is, you are genius, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Are we talking about books here? Are we just talking yeah. about? <laughs> so, Sarah's uh, psychotherapy aside. Yes. The second book that I picked, it was just along the same lines. I think I read this book last year. So it's been around a while. Um, actually, no, it might have come out around the time of the pandemic. So maybe in 2020. And the book is called How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be mm -hmm. by Katie Milkman. Mm -hmm. So Milkman is a researcher and Adam Alter's book references some of her research. So it's her book is really interesting. And she did some studies on the idea of a fresh start. Mm. And I think we're all familiar with this idea of a fresh start. So you've ever heard people say, well, Monday, I'm going to do this again, or Monday, I'm going to start a new habit. You know, this idea that there's this temporal landmark where you're going to just adopt new habits or become a new person or change your yes. identity. Mm -hmm. And so she, you know, she just argues that the fresh start, it, it is a thing and it, people can make radical transformations once they've decided on this fresh start, oh. but you can do it anytime. You know, you don't have to wait until Monday. You don't have to wait till the first of the year or this big life changing event. And she says that we should, you know, use this idea of a fresh start more often. So mm. you might say, I'm the kind of person who's going to get outside every day before 7 a.m. and get my run done. Uh -huh. and you just say I'm starting it tomorrow. And then, you know, the dissonance that is created by not doing that thing is what keeps you going. Once you've decided this is my starting point, it's my fresh start. This is now who I am. Hmm. So uh, plenty of other good nuggets in the book. Looking at the page count also under. Oh, goodness. Oh, Sarah, this <laughs> might be under. It's 201 pages. Wow. Everyone wow. go and out and get it right now. I know because you're like, <laughs> I love a book that's 200 pages. Like, that, that's price is right. You know, that's right within the span that would get you up on stage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how sciencey is the writing in this? Because, you know, the subhead is this, the science of getting from where science. you are. Yeah. yeah. Or does, does no, Milkman it's... do a good job of writing so it's easily digestible and actionable? She does. She's mm -hmm. she, the writing is very good. At the end of every chapter, she she presents a nice bullet point list mm. of the chapter takeaways, which I like to. Oh, kind yeah. Of, you know, when you want to go back to a book, you just go to that list and you just say, OK, here's the major topics. Here's what I was supposed to learn from this book. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah, I like I liked her writing style. Yeah, good, 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 good. So what do you tell the athletes that you coach about making a change? Oh, I mean, well, the hardest part is just getting started. Mm -hmm. the, hard, the hardest part is just taking the first step and the action. I mean, we could sit here, we could plan it, we can talk about it. The hardest thing is going to be just the action. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is that, you know, change is uncomfortable. 
It's hard and it, it takes time. So it's, it's not, there's no overnight success. There's no overnight win. There's no overnight running six minute miles in zone two heart rate. It mm-hmm. just, it takes mm-hmm. a while. And, and in that time, it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to, you know, just struggle a little with that mm. change. Mm. Hearing you talk about this and just listening to you throughout this episode just reaffirms for me why you are such a fantastic coach, Liz. That you are just, you're human, you bring wit, you bring reality, just, you just have a way of looking at things that that makes it all seem possible and not daunting. So, gosh, that's, can I just have you in my mirror every morning telling me pretty (laughs) things about myself? Just tell me I'm going to win the day, Sarah. Yes. Oh my gosh. That'd be so funny. We should have a, a thing of like, what AMR person do you want in your mirror? <laughs> I dial up Sarah. She's just telling me good things about myself. I don't know. What would, what would Dimity say? I, I think Dimity would just quietly listen. Don't you think? <laughs> she would have pressed snooze or producer a few Barry. times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What if producer Barry was in my mirror? What would he say? <laughs> what would your Barry? sound, Liz? Your sound. Yes. <laughs> Could you get in Too a smaller glare. room that doesn't echo so much? <laughs> <laughs> Draw things closer to yourself, Liz, and kind of muffle the sound a little. <laughs> Stop moving. <laughs> Is that your phone? <laughs> And we can laugh all we want because as the producer role in this, he literally can't be heard on this on this <laughs> recording. <laughs> now he's mad scrambling to get a different link so that he can come in as a participant. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the behind the scenes jokes of, of the podcast. Well, Liz, <laughs> this proves once again why I just adore talking to you. So thank you so oh, much thanks. for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Happy reading. Thank you. Poor Barry, we threw him under the bus there. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We backed it up.